you have your Bibles, turn to Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. I'm going to pray for us here and we're going to get right to it. Lord, we are grateful for the word. God, we're grateful for worship. Lord, for the opportunity to express our heart to you, Father. You are all to us as we have sang and God, we're so thankful for how you have given of yourself. Lord, you've involved yourself with us. We're grateful, Lord, for your love and for your mercy. And Father, we just thank you again and again as we are overwhelmed, Lord, by your love. I pray today, Lord, you would speak to our hearts from where we are to where we need to be. And Lord, I was reminded this morning, Father, that this service involves so many people. Lord, there are highlights that involve so many people, Father, but this, this whole thing is about you. Lord, there would be no reason to involve people and be no reason to honor people, Lord, if not for the work that you've done in our life. And so, God, we give you these moments now and pray that you'd work through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Numbers chapter 14. The promised land awaits. Awaits the people of God. A blessed future is before them. Twelve scouts from the twelve tribes are allowed to explore the land, to survey the land, a reconnaissance mission, to see what it's like to see what kind of people are there. And those 12 scouts come back, and this is their report. The land is promising, but the people are powerful. And the land is promising, but the fortifications are intimidating. And by their own admission in the Scripture in chapter 13, verses 32 and 33, we cannot go up against those people. They are stronger than we are. They will devour anyone who goes there to live. We felt like grasshoppers there, and that's what they thought too. It's at this point, after I've just said that the 12 scouts came back with their report of intimidation and a feeling of being overwhelmed, it's at this point that if I were reading back to you the minutes of a meeting, that two of the men from that list of 12 scouts would likely speak up and say, that report doesn't speak for all of us. Two of the men on the mission trip step forward at this time when all of the rest stood down. Two of those men returned with a sense of urgency to take it, a certainty that the promise would be fulfilled. Two of those men factored in the favor of God, the presence of God, and the promised future toward the people of God. And those two men were Caleb and Joshua. In the middle of the scouting report to Moses and the whole community, Caleb steps forward in the middle of an angry mob and says in chapter 13, verse 30, let's go right now. Let's go at once to take the land. We can certainly conquer it. But in an effort to snuff out any word of faith, the 10 scouts begin to spread rumors of a terrible fate of the whole community. That this would lead to nothing but danger and nothing but terror. And Israel then, based off the rumor mill and the stirring up, of dissension, it turned into a mob. They went from weeping to protest. They moved from complaining to plotting. In chapter 13, verse 4, let's choose a new leader to take us back to Egypt, to take us back to slavery. God must be wrong because this is difficult, they said. Moses must be wrong because we're not pleased with Moses. So he must be wrong and God must be wrong because this is hard. It would be better for us to stay put in what we know than to walk forward in what we don't.
this is a good place to stop and say that when you reach the point in your life where everyone is wrong except for those who agree with you, and everyone is wrong except for you, you are setting yourself up for a foolish future. When we complain more than we pray, we are setting ourselves up to be bitter instead of better. Constant complaining cuts us off from ever seeing it a different way, even from those who care about us and for those who care about God and his will and way. When you reach the conclusion that God is outdated, when you reach the conclusion that the word of God needs to be upgraded, you are setting yourself up from a, for a future far from God, distant from the only one who can help, the author of truth, the Alpha and Omega, there are churches, churches that used to stand solid on the word of God. They used to work for the glory of God. And these churches that have drifted from the truth are now becoming community centers for worldly agendas, progressive agendas in the name of people, not in the name of God. What happened? How do churches get there? Somewhere along the way, they begin to question God more than trust in God. And somewhere along the way, culture began to edge out Christ at the top of their list. So they began to seek out leaders and people who agreed with their feelings and their interpretation of the Scripture as it lines up with how they feel, instead of submitting to God by faith. One author wrote, people generally see what they look for, and they hear what they listen for. It was at this point, when the people of God began to tune God out, that they became an angry mob, and Moses and Aaron, the leader and priest of the whole thing, fell face down before the crowd and the whole community of Israel. One commentary says that they were praying. Another says that they were in distress, and I think it's both. In the Old Testament, it teaches that when one falls on this face, it's an act of devotion, but it's also an act that understands that there is a coming judgment. And they know both of those things. It's at this point when Moses, the leader of God's people, and Aaron, the priest, are face forward before the people, before God, and to symbolize that they know what's coming. Caleb and Joshua step forward. And in Numbers chapter 14, verses seven through nine, Numbers 14, seven through nine, this is what the scripture says. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. Now watch this. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into the land and give it to us. It is a land that is flowing with milk and honey, a rich land. And then it goes on to say, they said, do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. Who in your life is going the way of God? Who in your life is swimming against the current of the culture? Who in your life is seeking God's approval above their own and above those who would contradict the teaching of God? Who would even speak into their feelings? Who in your life spiritually stands out as they trust God for their future and for their present? 
Who in your life is one of those folks that is leading you closer to God just by being near them? Listen to this. Follow them as they follow Jesus. Pattern your life after them as they are patterning their life after God Almighty. Friday night, Lindsay Lane Christian Academy held graduation here. 31 graduates moving into the next chapter of their life. The speaker that night was the president of Union University. His message was on leadership, and he began by reading a list of names of leaders to see if, if anyone there, especially the graduating class, would recognize those names. He read the list, and I'm sitting there on the stage, and as he read the list, the list seemed unrecognizable to me. And then he read it again. And after he read the list again, my mind went to, is he talking about the 10 spies from the book of Numbers? Because I think that that's who the list is that he's speaking of. And sure enough, he was reading the list of names from the 10 that were too scared, too faithless to move into the promised land and came back afraid. Now here's the thing. I read and have read through this text of Numbers 14, 13 and 12 and 11, multiple times leading up to this moment now, multiple times in the last month, and I didn't even recognize one of those names that he read aloud. Why? No one remembers them. And that was the point that he was making. In fact, if I'm completely honest... As he was reading off that list of names, and he's read there in chapter 13, verses 4 through 16, he left out Caleb and Joshua on purpose. But if I'm honest, when I read through that in studying for this, in studying for you today and the weeks prior, I didn't even read their names. I skipped right over them. Because I knew and have seen before there's only two that the church needs to pattern their life after. The rest of those guys, they were leaders, leaders, a part of God's people chosen to scout on behalf of God the land of promise. And they were those leaders who missed, listen to me, they missed their future because they were more concerned with fear and their own personal safety than the purpose of God Almighty and the God that they belonged to. But Caleb and Joshua, who are remembered and they are honored in Scripture, they were leaders of a different concern. They concerned themselves with things that were bigger than themselves. Their concern, if you see right there in the Scripture, if we put it into their own words, they said, if the Lord is pleased with us. Their concern was not their safety. Their concern was not the safety of their family. Their concern was not their comfort. It was not their entertainment. Their concern was the will of God, the God whom they belonged to, the God whom they trusted. Is this not what we see in the life of Peter and John in Acts chapter 4? They are told by a religious council, we're going to let you go, but don't you ever speak in the name of Jesus ever again. And what did they say? Do you think that we're going to obey you rather than God? Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? Our nation has the audacity to sing God bless America. But our nation is more concerned with America than we are God. 
And the feeling of people does not supersede the will of God. Let me just say this plain and simple. Your feelings do not supersede the word and the will and the way of God. Everybody take that this morning? There is one who is greater than all of us today. And the way that we feel does not just supersede what God has said. God is the determining factor in all things because he is. Joshua and Caleb brought up to God's people the importance of obedience. Long-time Christians, we cannot forget what God saved us out of and saved us from. We are still accountable to obedience in our 30th year of Christianity as we are in our first year. And so Joshua and Caleb bring up this idea to God's people of how about we just do what God says? For any other nation, though, any other nation besides Israel, their progress, their decision is one of self-preservation, one of progress for the nation. But for the people of God, for the people of God, theirs is a future of a faith decision on purpose and obedience. If the Lord is pleased with us, I would implore you not to ask what you want to do with your life, but what God would have you to do with your life. Where would God have you to go? Who would God have you to marry? What job would God have you to take? What place of service in his church would the Lord lead you to? You see, this leaves room when the scripture says, if the Lord is pleased with us. This leaves room for if he's not. Meaning, we can be in a right relationship, but in a wrong position. We can be standing in Christ, but not walking with God. Are you hearing me? Christian, the question before us today, follower of Jesus, is not are you saved? The question for our hearts this morning is, is God pleased? Don't misunderstand the message. Yes, you must rest in the promise of salvation. Everyone here who is Living and believing in Jesus rests in the promise that if you have turned from sin and turned to God by faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of all of your sin, the scripture says in Romans 8.33, God himself has given you right standing with himself. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. His love kept going for the people of Israel. His love keeps going with you. But the biblical perspective and Sometimes there's points of the message that I've been waiting to tell you all week. The biblical principle of sowing and reaping does not cease to apply once you get saved. Galatians 6, Hosea 10, James chapter 3. The biblical principle of we reap what we sow. That if, if we are welcoming consequence into our life, we're, it's, it's coming. Even forgiven sin has consequence. If you plant seeds of doubt and disobedience, you will harvest a plant of distance. But if you plant seeds of faith, you will harvest and plant a plant of purpose and promise. Someone once wrote, God's love language is obedience. To love him is to live on his terms, not on our own. I am very concerned. The church can get to the place the church, baptized believers, those, who's, those who believe based on the work of Jesus that they'll bust heaven wide open as they have been forgiven by the blood of Christ. 
I am very concerned that all of those who would say that they are members of the church are glad to be part of his people, but we often take the attitude of, we'll let you know, God, if we're going to be part of your purpose. See, that cannot be because we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to the Lord. Folks, it's possible to miss your future simply because you're disobedient. And we can be self-seeking and even self-preserving to the point we welcome God's discipline and distance in our fellowship with him. And no, there's no wonder why if we are living at a distance from God, if we are doing exactly what we want and not asking him at all what he would have in our life, it's no wonder why we get times of discouragement and frustration and dissatisfaction in our lives because we belong to God, yet we're keeping our life for ourselves. And then we wonder why we are so down. Tell God why we can't. Telling what we want instead of asking him what he wants. And, or we just stay put and almost just ignore altogether that God would call us forward. We put it off. Yes, God, I know that you're putting it on my heart to do something for your glory. To serve you, to teach, to lead, to serve, to go. And Lord, one day, when I get to this point, and when it's not so rocky, and it's all milk and honey, and it's all grapes, and all those folks are gone, then I'll serve you. You don't get to call that shot. We don't get to tell God what we're going to do. Oh, we can, and God may let us. But we're messing with our future, a future that God is planning for his glory and our good. Listen to this for just a moment. We love the idea of the promised land, but we often don't want to submit to God to get there. You may have confessed Jesus, but there is still a need to confess sin when it's in our life. To agree with God that you've gone way past where you should, that you've given way to fear or selfishness, but you desire to go his way once again. Y'all, again, read the Old Testament. It'll make you feel better about your Christianity. Because you will understand if you read the Old Testament, if the Old Testament teaches us anything, it's that God is patient with people for his glory and their good. God extended that same patience to Peter. His story that they'll look at in the best week ever in vacation Bible school. He extended that grace and that patience. He told him up front, you will deny me. And then you read a few chapters after that, and God is making him breakfast on the lakeside. Giving him an opportunity to get it right. Confess and forsake sin. So the times of refreshment can come in your life. Their concern was the will of God. Their concern was the way of God. And for Caleb and Joshua, their confidence of the future was in the presence of God. Could be very simple today that I just need to tell you that if you're in Christ, God is with you and will be with you. When you get saved, you are forgiven of sin, free from its penalty and power. Because of Jesus, you are fit for heaven. But y'all, did you know that there's something else? When you get saved, you'll never be alone ever again, ever. You may feel like you're all by yourself. You may feel that you are just at this by your lonesome, but there's that reminder from his word and a tugging at your heart that reminds you from God, I'm here. I'm with you. The Lord told Joshua, 
Joshua right here, Joshua and Caleb, Joshua who would become the leader of God's people, Israel, he told him in Joshua 1.9, do not be afraid and don't be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And the same promise is made to the church. Those who live and believe in Jesus, the fulfillment of God's promise and blessing. God told us in the Great Commission, Jesus said, and be sure of this, after he had said, go and make disciples and teach people to obey. Be the church in the world. This is your purpose, not just to grow up, get a job, make money, have a family, and go on into heaven. He's given us the purpose of discipleship. He's given us the purpose of evangelism, to be the church in the world. And he told them, and be sure of this, I know there'll be times when it's, it's real scary for you, and you're not exactly how sure that's gonna look, and you feel like a broken vessel, but Jesus told all of those disciples, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Romans chapter eight teaches us that the Spirit of God lives in us. The scripture says, that, that the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, dwells inside the life. Man, somebody needs to know that now. That the same Spirit that has power over death to raise Jesus up from the grave is the same Spirit inside of us that is working to give us power over sin in our life right now. See, this is what is at our disposal it's what has, is the opportunity within us to see things differently because of the truth that God's word presents. So even if your house is empty, even if the car that you ride in, you ride by yourself, even if you are in North Alabama at a new location and by your lonesome, welcome in and we're glad that you're here. Even if you feel alone, even if you're in a new chapter and you're not surrounded by the folks that you used to know or you were headed to a place you know nothing about, if you are in Christ, the presence of God dwells in you. And you're not alone. So it's a practical point. If the truth is that the Spirit of God is inside of us, that he is with us, practically we should seek God as we would seek anyone else who lives in our home. What does that mean? You talk to him. Some of us need to know that when you pray, you're not talking to a dead God. You're talking to Jesus who sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, making intercession. You are, you are speaking to the living God, not to the trees or to the sky. You are speaking to the God-man who is Christ. Hear from him, rest in him, as you are aware that he is there. Make, what, what do we do in our homes with the people that we live with? We make room for them. We make adjustments because of them, because their residence is with us. God's spirit is undeniably in the life of every believer. And you'll never be alone ever again when you are in Christ. Now, there's one more thing to tackle before we conclude the message. What happens after Joshua and Caleb preach to the crowd is the opposite of what they hope for. Chapter 14, verse 10 says that the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. There was no revival. The majority was loud and they were still wrong. And what followed this is God showed up. 
Kids, and I say kids because we've all, we're a kid at some point. Some of you still there now. You remember that feeling when you were fighting maybe with your sibling or doing something wrong and then your mom or daddy walks into the room, shows up, darkens the door. All of the folks of God have been complaining and protesting and calling for the head of Moses and let's go back to Egypt. And then what happens next is, is the very presence of God is felt there in the tabernacle. If you turn to chapter 14 and look at verses 11 and 12, God speaks to Moses as the glorious appearance of the Lord is with them, and this is what he says. How long will these people treat me with contempt? Will they never believe me? Even after all the miraculous signs that I've done among them, I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. And then I will make you into a greater nation and mightier than they are. God is not playing around. These are God's responses. He is angry and he is justifiably angry as the people that he had delivered from slavery, from years and years and years of slavery are now the folks that are complaining and trying to take him over. They are the people who are now disobedient to the point of doubt and disbelief that God has a land set up for them, a land of promise that they are ignoring and saying that they don't want in their fear and in their doubt. And the scripture says in verse 22, God says, again and again they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. Y'all, what are we seeing of God in this chapter? I mean, what are we looking at when it comes to the characteristics of God? What side of God is this? Because you just talked about God's forever presence with those who live and believe in Christ. Just talked about the love and mercy. We've been talking about that. We've been singing about that all, the whole time. What is this? God is holy. He is perfectly perfect. He delights in what is right. He hates what is wrong. He is patient, yes, but he is true. And what we are seeing here is the wrath of God. The wrath of God is not something that people write songs about, is it? Y'all stand and sing as we sing about the wrath of God. We don't have Bible studies and books written that everybody joins in on. If we had a Bible study here called the wrath of God, some of you deep thinkers may show up, but the rest of y'all are going, well, I don't want to hear about that. But let me tell you something. The wrath of God is as sure as the love of God. It is the part of the holy character. It is born out of his holiness that he does not put up with wrong and he loves what is right. And can I tell you this? This is not the first time in the scripture when God says things like this. Remember the golden calf? Remember that? When the people of God got tired of waiting on God, let's make a golden calf and worship and follow that. Now, we sit here ourselves and are like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I just wonder if the Spirit of God would let you know the same today, that some of the things that are idols in our life that have been made by human hands 
And we claim not to worship, but everything about our life says we do. I just wonder if the Lord is like, the same thing's happening with you sometimes. It's the dumbest thing from the outside looking in that you would worship this created instead of the creator. I'll tell you, God threatened to wipe them out then too. Not the first time that they had seen his wrath and what happened then, Moses appealed then as he's doing now in the scripture for the sake of time, not reading every single word of the verse. Go back and read it. In between the wrath of God and the unbelieving people is an intercessor, is Moses. Almost like a lawyer, Moses begins to argue that destroying the people of God would belittle God's glory among the nations. Moses was, was reasoning, appealing to God. He was saying, look, you just brought them out of Egypt. You showed your power then. If you do not lead them into the promised land now, then what will you look like before Egypt? In the journey to the promised land, you have given your presence. If you abandon them now, what does this say about you, O Lord? Moses was, again, playing the part of a lawyer and says, if you slaughter all your people with a single blow, the nations who have heard of your fame will say, quote, the Lord was not able to bring them into the land he swore to give them, so he killed them in the wilderness. Moses is interceding. He is standing between the people who don't know what they're doing and God who does. And so he stands in the gap, and Moses appeals to the attributes of God. Moses stood between the wrath and stood between the people on the basis of his argument was the attributes of God, but there would be a significant consequence. And even though God would relent and God would pardon them, he would still discipline them because these folks would never see the promised land. Caleb and Joshua would get there. They would experience it. But for the generations attached to the, or I should say for the, the people attached to the 10 spies who remain nameless because nobody cares and nobody studies them, they would never see that land flowing with milk and honey. They would never experience the promised land that God had given them underneath the hand of discipline of God. They missed their future because of disobedience. Everybody above the age of 20 that's attached to all those folks, the scripture says, never got to see it. Some of us are putting our future at risk. Some of us are putting the generations behind us at risk for how we treat God now. Scripture says in 1423, none of these who have treated me with contempt will ever see the land. I don't want you to misunderstand God's promise of salvation is based on what God does for us that we have received. We didn't do anything to earn our salvation. Therefore, we don't do anything to maintain it. The promise of God's salvation is true, past, present, and future sin. That said, we can absolutely compromise our future within our own responsibility as we choose to go our own way and still be justified before God and right for eternity. The question then comes, is, is Moses changing the mind of God when he prays? When Moses stands between the people and God and he appeals to God who is set on wiping them out, starting over, is Moses changing the mind of God when he prays? Now, I'm just gonna tell you, 
I definitely believe that God hears us when we pray and he acts within his will. It's been said that prayer doesn't change God's mind, but prayer changes things. It's a good way to put it. I know that this is less about Moses changing God's mind and it's more about God motivating repentance. And I would add to you, this is God working through his chosen leader. And I would also suggest to you that God is once again patient with this people because he is setting the stage for the ultimate answer to his wrath. Moses appealed to the attributes of God and God's wrath was held on for a time. But Jesus took the wrath of God and God's wrath was satisfied forever toward a stiff-necked, rebellious, self-doubting people, selfish and doubting people. Moses stood in the gap. Jesus took the wrath. Moses appealed to the attributes of God. Jesus is God who involved himself to the point of death and the power of the resurrection to give us hope. Jesus is the answer to the wrath of God. Let me make it as plain as I can. If you would reject Jesus today, deny Jesus today, if you would put Jesus off today, you are putting off the only one who stands between you and the wrath of God. That's it. Why would you preach Jesus? Why do we talk about Jesus? Why do we sing Jesus? Why do we pray in Jesus' name? He is the glory of God, the good of man. He is the one who would make intercession for us, but not just to intercede on our behalf. He has laid down his life so that we would be right with God. That's why we give glory to his name. You need him. You need him. The only, the only reason that I believe that I'm going to bust heaven wide open and stand right before God when eternity comes is because I have attached my confidence to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has died for me and proven himself divine by raising up from the grave. Jesus, only Jesus. Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. Scripture says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep, listen to that part and the inclusive part of that. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Now watch this. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He took the wrath so that we may receive the righteousness of God. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. We always have an invitation here. We have decision counselors here. We have pastors here. If in your heart you think today, no more waiting. No more waiting. If you want to come and walk that aisle and grab me or one of us and just say five words, I need to be saved. We can help you from there. We can answer your questions. We can take you to the scriptures. We can walk you forward towards a devotion decision to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you may think, that's, I love the invitation and I appreciate that, but I'd rather get with you later. Or I'd rather send you my contact information and have you call me or whatever. Just, just let us help. Amen? Just let us help. If you want to join the church today, we're here to receive you. If you need to be baptized, if you need to take that step of obedience, here to receive you as we've seen that earlier in the service. Lord,
Thank you, O God, for your word. Thank you, O God, for your grace. Lord, we know and believe that your wrath, your justice, your truth stands firm. And God, we thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. We thank you, O God, for providing the solution to our problem. We thank you, O God, for being the answer to every question that we have in our heart. Lord, your word is beautiful, Lord. Today, we thank you, God, for the message of hope. So, Lord, I pray that if there's one or many that need to seriously, spiritually turn to you and abandon themselves, Lord, that they would do so now and not wait. God, would you have your way in this invitation? Lord, lead us forward as a church that we would trust you with our future. God, that you would provide and that you would guide and Lord, we pray that truly you would be pleased with us as we seek to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. This altar is open for you to come and pray. We have decision counselors here today to receive you. Just respond and worship, respond in prayers. The Lord would lead you.